Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for the program. Generosity does not begin when you get more. It doesn't begin then. I've found this. You could give someone $1,000 and they'd still need $1,001. When you consider the concept of generosity, you may be tempted to assume that it's only those who have plenty who can be generous. Perhaps we should consider that those who are generous often give out of limited resources, not plenty. Dr. Corbett is concluding a series of messages that challenge us to look at the way we live and understand the role of virtue in our lives. Tonight, the final in the series, By Virtue the of Generosity. To the slide that I've got, I've mentioned, is taken from a ship going through the Bering Strait. And I'm sure Tony could tell us much more about the Bering Strait than I could, but I understand it's some of the roughest water in the world. It used to be a land bridge between uh, what, what is now Alaska and far east northern Russia. And through the passage of time, that land bridge has been weathered down and now makes those seas some of the most treacherous of anywhere in the world. And I've made the point that some people feel as if that's what their life is like. They feel like they are being tossed to and fro, going through rough waters. And how on earth do you navigate rough, the rough waters of life like that? One of the things that I, I hope we will see in looking at this passage, and if you have your Bible and if you've got enough light or perhaps if you've got a device, you can have a look at this with me because you may want to underline some of these things which I encourage you to do, uh, is in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, we have the Apostle Peter in around about, somewhere around about late 63 AD writing these words. And if you by now are familiar with what we've seen of first century history, uh, you will note that in you remember that we, we talked a few weeks ago that the key dates as far as the background of the New Testament, 64 AD, 66 AD, 68 AD and 70 AD and in 64 AD, the first of those dates, that's when Rome declared war on the church and Caesar Nero, the emperor at the time, began killing Christians in the hundreds of thousands. One of the first Christians that were killed was Peter. And he knew that he was going to die soon. He says it in this chapter. Christ told him in one of the last chapters of the Gospel of John. So he knew his time was up. So very sober words, sombering words. This is what he says. For this reason, he's writing to the believers whom he fears for, and he says he fears for them. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And how do you get virtue? Supplement virtue with knowledge. And I hope that's what we're going to do this morning. Down to verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, and this tells me that the Christian life is not a static life. It's not a journey where you tick it off and go, uh, and, and I hope I never give people this impression. I never want to give you the impression that really all I'm trying to do is to get you to make a decision for Christ and then that's the end game. That's it. 
because it's not. Can I tell you as plainly as I can, for you giving your life to Christ is not the end game. It's the start of the game. It's where the journey starts. Now, I know people have a journey to that point. I know that. I get that. But really, for most people, their journey is like Israel going around the wilderness, around and around and around. And until you surrender to Christ, your journey to where he wants you to go and want you to, who he wants you to be can't really begin. And in exactly the same way, we see the parallel with Israel. As they resisted God, resisted God, resisted God, they went, it came out of Egypt. It was, it was a, on a slow walk. It would have been a 30-day walk into the promised land on a slow walk. But yet they were there 40 years going around and around and around. And eventually God said, I'm through with this generation. And they all died out. And it took a younger generation led by Joshua. And the, the, there's some key elements there. Strong leadership and strong followership and strong commitment to God. And they were the generation, and in fact, I would say the holiest generation, the most honoured generation in the entire history of the nation of Israel. And they took the promised land. And it says, I think in Joshua 21, that, that to that generation, God fulfilled all of his promises. No other generation had that. So we see here that the, the Christian life Peter says, is a life where these qualities are meant to be increasing. That means if you've been a Christian for 40, 50 years, as some of you have, there is still more. There is still more. There is more to grow. There is more to know. There is more for Christ to get a hold of in your life, to mould you and shape you and change you and adapt you. And I think the end result is that you you look like Christ in how you treat people. You feel yourself being changed. You feel yourself being corrected. Things that you used to do, perhaps the, the sharp criticism you might make of someone else, you begin to feel the Holy Spirit saying, don't talk about people like that. And the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance, Jesus wouldn't do that. So don't you do that. So you begin to treat people in a way that's more Christ-like. You begin to speak in a more Christ-like manner. So in other words, the Christian life is about increasing. It's about growing. It's about increasing in Christ-likeness, which is that word that starts with a small g, not a capital G, the small g word, godliness. Godliness means to be more like Christ. You begin to talk like Christ. You begin to treat people like Christ. And you begin, as the Apostle Paul said, to smell like Christ. The fragrance of Christ. That's what happens as you grow in your relationship with Christ. It says in verse 10, the Apostle Peter goes on and says this, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So there is an effort that I think God empowers for the believer to grow and to change. And I think the hallmarks of a growing believer becoming more Christ-like is that they will apologize to people at points of their journey. Because I've, I've found that the Holy Spirit makes me aware often after I've been rude or said something dumb or offensive, and then the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, Jesus wouldn't have done that. And I feel terrible. And I realize I've got to put it right. And I have to go to someone and apologize and say, listen, I'm, you know, when I said that, 
I should never have said that. I misrepresented my saviour. I'm so sorry. I, I just want to take that back and apologise for how I spoke to you. I think that's, that's some of the hallmarks of someone growing in Christ. I want to pray um, and, and then I want, to, I want to just take a moment where we can contemplate and ponder. But let's pray. And Father, on this day when memory of you giving the greatest gift, I pray, Lord, that today, even in this time, you would give gifts. Father, there are people here this morning who need the gift of healing. Doctors have not given a good prognosis. And what doctors can't do, I pray now by the gift of the Holy Spirit, you would bring healing. Father, there are those here today and they need a gift of wisdom. They have decisions to make. Give them that gift. Father, there are those here today who are in financial straits. They feel like they are drowning in debt. And Father, today I pray that you give the gift of opportunity. That, Father, people would leave here today with their eyes opened in a fresh way. Father, there are people here today who are here because of someone's invitation. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would give the gift of revelation, that you would speak into their hearts and minds in a way where they will know there is no way anyone could have known that but God. And today I pray you give the gift of salvation, eternal peace and security with you. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at what is essentially the, the, the central theme of Christmas, apart from Christ himself, who is the greatest gift. But it is generosity. And virtue the virtue of generosity is a moral attribute it's it's something that a virtuous person is a is a person who does the right thing and and has a character that that withstands all kinds of pressure and and stress and does the right thing and here's my contention as we celebrate the the arrival of Christ that is we learn to walk with Christ we will develop the virtues of Christ And I'm going to suggest to you that of all the virtues we've been looking at, we've looked at the virtue of love. We've looked at the virtue of peace. I think think of garden uh, in that time in the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ was there under physical, so much duress, where he was sweating drops of blood, yet he he was in the peace of God. I think that's incredible. I think... As we, as we looked at humility recently, we, we see that Christ was the most humble man that's ever lived. And we've seen that humility is not putting yourself down. It's not self-effacing. It's not, uh, it's not rejecting compliments. I recently heard a, a, a preacher, uh, Zoe was telling me about uh, Stephen Furtick, who, who as a young preacher had someone come up to him and said, that was really good. That was, a, that was good preaching. Really good preaching. And he as the young preacher said, oh, it wasn't me, that was God. He said, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Sometimes when you get a compliment, the appropriate response isn't to fob it off or reject it. It's just simply to say what? Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for that. And that's a humble response. But here's my, here's my thesis, that Christ was the most generous man that's ever lived. He was the most generous man that the world has ever seen. And if you follow him, you will end up 
also being generous. But I want to, I want to make a point that there are principles of generosity. And I think Christ epitomised all of the principles of generosity that we see in the book of Proverbs, of which there are quite a few. And here's what, what I want to say from the outset. Some here will think, oh, okay, here we go. We're pre- you know, he's preaching generosity in the church. He's going to be talking about giving. No, I'm not just going to be talking about giving. I'm going to be talking about generosity. And I see giving as a part of it, but it's not the whole picture. Here's my thing. If you only think of generosity as giving, you will give and we will be a poor church that gives. But if you can get generosity, you will be better off and you will give. Let me explain what I mean. Because I don't want people to be worse off for giving. And I don't want people to think giving is just about money. In Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 11.24, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So when we talk about what Jesus taught about how he lived, a generous lifestyle, he taught his followers to give. And so this is where I want to stretch your understanding of generosity. And then I hope at the end we'll tie it all in and show you that Christmas is the ultimate act of generosity. So one of the first things... I think Christ taught his disciples about generosity is it begins with compassion. Compassion for people. Compassion. This is what he said. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why? Because it's not about the show. It's not about the boast. It's about compassion for someone without humiliating them. Generosity, true generosity, the kind of generosity that Christ spoke about was out of a heart of compassion for people. He said this in Luke 6.30, Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. There's a parenting lesson for children. Who, if you have more than one child, you'll know this. I think one of the ultimate stories of, of generosity, which I think Christ gave two very, very profound stories of, of generosity, is firstly the Good Samaritan. The other one is what we call the story of the prodigal son, although if you've heard me ever talk about this, I think it's actually the story of the prodigal father. Because prodigal doesn't mean wandering. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean the one who wanders off. Prodigal actually means lavish. It comes from the word prodigious. To, to do a lot of. And the one who is most prodigious in the story of what we call the prodigal son is actually the father. He gave, we, we, we think, we read that story where the prodigal comes to, we call him the prodigal, he comes to his father and says, give me my share of the inheritance. And you know, the next verse says, and so the father divided his estate between his two sons. He gave away everything at that moment and he gave it away to both sons. That's pretty generous. Very generous. But this story of the Good Samaritan, I think, is, is profoundly about generosity. And this is a story that Jesus told to illustrate the kind of generosity he's talking about. And I hope 
you can see it's grounded in compassion for people. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. The people you would expect to have compassion on others. Priests. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, whom you would also expect to show compassion, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came near where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an innkeeper and took care of him. Notice this, he didn't drop him off at the inn. Notice what he did. And the next day, in other words, how long has he just spent with this man who had been left half a dead? His sworn enemy, by the way, Jews and Samaritans, hated each other so he spent the night tending to this man's wounds and it says in the next day he took out two denarii a denarii was a day's wage so it's like putting five hundred dollars on the counter and saying use this to tend to him and gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend i will repay you back when i come do you hear generosity but do you see how that generosity is grounded in compassion for people a care, a consideration for others. So this is what I want you to see, the first thing about generosity. It's grounded not just in a dollar value, it's grounded in both an attitude of the heart that results in action. So it's no good just saying, as it says in the epistle of James, if you say you have compassion, but you, you see your brother in need, but you do nothing... Your faith is dead. Faith without works, James says, is dead. So how do we cultivate a spirit of generosity? How do we do that? How do we cultivate this virtue of generosity? If I was to ask you a question, who here today would like to be more generous? Don't put your hand up, but put it up on the inside, if it's you. I hope the answer is, yeah, actually, I would like to be more generous. And I can understand some people saying, yeah, I'd really like to be, but just not a great time in my life right now to be so. Well, I want to talk to you. Because I think some people are foolishly lavish in what they give away. And I think they think that's being generous. I think it's sometimes being unwise. Let me explain. Generosity does not preclude either obligations or responsibilities. For example, you've got a, a, a power bill and you, you've got $100 to pay a power bill and someone comes to the door and says, would you, lend, would you give me $100? Well, you're already, already actually obliged to pay your power bill $100 and you should. Now, where do I get this from? Where, what, what, that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound very compassionate. I mean, uh, Aurora doesn't need our money. I mean, I don't want to have compassion on the electricity company. But you have an obligation to pay that. Here's the principle. Because Jesus' address to this heart attitude 
in the very, very religious people of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees. They would come to the temple literally with people blowing trumpets in front of them as they were about to put their offering in the offering box and go, is everyone watching? <laughs> as the trumpeter would sound, do, 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 do. this Pharisee is about to do, 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 do the gift. Do, 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 do. And Jesus actually says, don't go about the streets with a trumpeter. And we look at that and go, who would even think about going about the streets with a trumpeter? Well, apparently the Pharisees would. So he's addressing this issue that here they are giving and then he paints a scene where their parents are on the other side of that box and their parents, for one reason or another, can't work. There was no social welfare in those days, no safety net or anything like that. The way parents were supported, and this may be a shock to an entire generation, and I hope my kids are listening, is their kids would support their parents. <laughs> Every parent looks at their child at this point and goes, Amen, there you go. And Jesus is telling us of, a, of an episode where one, uh, some Pharisees were giving in this, this box, you know, what a great, generous person I am. Then on the other side of this box, there's their parents going, Son, can you help us out? We haven't eaten in a week. Can you please help us out? No, I can't because I've just tithed. I've given everything to God. It is now, here's the word, korban, sacred money, not money to be used for any other purpose apart from God. So Jesus has something to say about this. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do you see the scripture actually says you should honor your mother and father it actually says you should look after them as best you can and here they were justifying being here's the word you might want to write it down stingy saying yes i'm stingy it looks like i'm stingy but i'm not i'm really just spiritual and jesus will have none of it he will have none of it. Being generous doesn't mean you neglect your obligations or your responsibilities. For those of us who understand biblical giving, I don't include tithes and offerings as in, the, in, in the thing of generosity because a large part of that is just obligation. That's not giving. It's just meeting obligation. Generosity does not begin when you get more. It doesn't begin then. I, I have found this. You could give someone $1,000 and they'd still need $1,001. You could give the same person a million dollars and it would be gone pretty quickly and they would, they would need a million one, really. And yet I've, I've seen people, you give them $1,000, they they, it's almost, and I know that in some cultures like... Um, Dutch cultures and Scottish cultures, they, they, they taught their kids, okay, when you get money, think, think not just now, but think about tomorrow. Think about years to come. Think about the future. So take that money and allocate some of it for then. That's called, uh, there's a whole generation of kids that have never heard this word. It's an old-fashioned word. It's called savings. How, does he, how do you spell that, Mum? Savings. Savings. Then there's an allocation of expenses. 
And then there's discretionary money which might be used to help others. And then if, you're, if you were really, really savvy, you would have another allocation called investing, if you're really savvy. And I actually think that use of money is how the generous use their money. The generous use their money. A poor widow, Jesus said, came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. One cent. Two small copper coins. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Jesus is making the point. Generosity is not about whether you have more. It's about what you have. It's about what you have. One of the most profound pieces of, of financial advice I had from a financial advisor was this. Andrew, always pay yourself. And that's called savings. Always pay yourself. Treat yourself as one of your creditors. So I don't know how many people have multiple bank accounts where you can put some of your income into that account at savings. It's not everyday expense. You're not going to touch it. It's very difficult to get. You don't have a key card for it or anything like that. And, and if you haven't, you might want to consider it because it might be a gem of wisdom for you, even if you are in financial straits. Generosity can be dramatically increased by adopting what I'm going to conclude with excellence. Excellence. What does excellence look like? I want to give you three principles of excellence. What if you did get, if you've asked this question of each other or someone or of yourself, what would I do? What would I do if I leave Lagana Christian Church this morning, I get home and there at my door is a box, gift wrapped, bow on top, ribbon, there it is. And you open it up, you take it inside, open it up and inside are fresh, crisp, genuine $100 bills in $1,000 bundles and there's 100,000 of those bundles. No, let's make it. All right, no, no we'll make it t 10 of those $100,000 bundles. So there's a million dollars there. What would you do? What would you do if you got today a million dollars in cash? Zoe would call the police. <laughs> what if there was a note in there and it was addressed to you and it was handwritten and it said, this is for you. It is completely legit it is yours i want you to think about it here's i want to while you're thinking about it i want you to consider these three principles of wisdom for how you can turn that act of generosity into increasing your generosity without impoverishing you number one plan have a plan think about it. i've just said before i think you should have money allocated to give away I think you should. I think you should have money for your obligations. And I think you should have money put aside for savings. I think you should do that. I actually think that right there is a part of a generous lifestyle. The person who gets it and just gives it all away now has no seed in the ground to give more away. Secondly, saving. Start saving. You ever thought about it? What if you saved $20 a week every week for the last 10 years? How much would you have now? Anyone know just off the top of the head? $10,000 plus whatever accumulated interest. Who could use $10,000 now? Nah. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. 
<laughs> and thirdly, if you employ a principle of excellence, I encourage you to take advantage of those things that will increase your income. In other words, if you're here today and you're thinking, you know, a manager, gets pay, a manager in my biz company business place gets paid more than I do, but for me to aspire to be a manager, I think that's pride and I don't want to do that. That's not pride. What you're doing is pride. By being prepared to have a go and use excellence and excel and, and get whatever promotion you can will often be an act of humility because it could be very hard work and humility is about serving others and we need people who know how to serve others in business. Three principles, plan, save, increase by, by being excellent and that goes for people in business. If you can expand your business, you should. Do what you can. And here's my prayer for us at church. I pray that we will all be generous people in the way I've described it and that we will have increased compassion for others. We will increase our capacity to be able to bless others. But at the same time, we'll also be able to meet our obligations. And I hope that we will also see our overall debt level, whatever it might be, eradicated as best as possible. Who would like, who would like to be generous like that? Father, I pray that what we learned where you gave, you planned, you came to save and you did it excellently. And Father, as we take these three principles into our life, I pray that each one here today. That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full length version of this presentation on CD, audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting By Virtue of Generosity from our online store. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.